This episode contains some mildly explicit content. It's not bleeped out, just so you know. This is Efficiently Effective. My name is Saskia Wiedler. One of the staples of content strategy is the content style guide. In it, we define the consistent voice of the organization and the tone that we should take on in specific situations. Content style guides also define how to use different types of content, how elaborate or concise we can be with our words, and perhaps point out some specific grammar or vocabulary use. We need style guides to align stakeholders on our content. I think it's fair to say that the most famous content style guide is the one from MailChimp. The documentation, which you can find online, covers guidelines from how to use alt text to how to write legal copy. The voice and tone section starts with the user's point of view, their feelings and experiences, and suggests an approach to the content based on that. The document is beautiful and makes a lot of sense, but it's also huge. You can find it on styleguide.mailchimp.com. I'll also put a link in the show notes, which can be found on efficientlyeffective.fm. And then one fine day, I came across a Medium post by Jason Fox. According to him, voice and tone guides are overrated, a waste of money and useless. Wow. With the examples he references in this post, I do get where he's coming from. Let me name you a few. In content style guides, writers are being told to have fun, be authentic and be badass, baby. Well, yeah, that does sound a bit weird. He also quotes style guides that propose you to avoid jargon, trendy constructions and passwords. And these pointers are basic knowledge, according to Fox. I was intrigued, perhaps even a bit startled by the article, and I had questions. So here we are, Jason Fox. <laughs> Please tell us who you are and maybe also, who do you think you are for writing this? Who do I think I am and who am I? <laughs> um, yeah, thank you so much for having me. And I am a, a writer. Uh, based in Denver, Colorado. Um, I have a lot of experience working uh, sort of in the marketing and advertising world. Um, and also in the last several years, I've had the opportunity to help write words for software. And I think that having that experience in the marketing world and in the sort of product world maybe informed the, uh, the feelings that I had toward voice and tone style guides. Um, and really that article that I wrote, uh, I think, I don't blame you, I guess, for being startled by the article when I was writing it. I was like, do I really want to write this? Is this going to be something that's going to stick with me that I'll have to have conversations with? About, uh, have conversations yes, you do. With, yes, I do. <laughs> I'm already, here's, here's one of the first. Um, I've imagined like how I would uh, have this conversation with potential clients. They're like, we wrote, we read this article where you said that we don't need a voice and tone style guide. And that doesn't seem to make much sense. So I don't know if it's maybe doing more more harm than good for my career, but where I was coming from with that piece is that to go all the way back, um, when I graduated college in 2010 uh, with a, a degree in, in writing, um, I, I thought, okay, great. Um, who's going to hire me and what am I going to write? I didn't necessarily have any ambitions of uh, going into journalism or into um, even marketing or advertising. I just sort of went out into the world with the ability to write and wanted to see uh, who needed me to write for them. Um, and I realized sort of over time that 
a lot of the projects that you got involved in early on as a writer are those projects where you can kind of convince people that you are able to um, sound like a subject matter expert or that you were able to provide them with a particular writing service that they need. Um, and so like very early on, there was like this feeling of like, not necessarily being a con artist, but in a way it's like being a con artist, like this copywriter con artist where you're, you're selling people these sort of writing services and oftentimes mm -hmm. um, you need to convince yourself that it's something that they need and you have to convince them that it's something that they need and I think uh, in that process um, you might arrive at uh, something that is maybe more than what they need um, and I think I, so I, I kind of started to see this in myself you know selling voice and tone style guides to brands um, these very large inflated documents um, that you know took a significant amount of time to develop and as especially as the field of UX writing um, became more popular, I noticed that uh, developing voice and tone style guides became more of a necessity, but also more of a skill set that um, professional writers were using to market themselves to potential clients and to jobs. And then there was this sort of this reaction to that where it seemed like companies were uh, beginning to become convinced that they needed to hire somebody with the specific skill set of writing a voice and tone style guide. And, um, and as all that was happening, I would be in meetings where we would, you know, we would have multiple meetings talking about voice and tone style guides. And um, everybody in the company was involved in different nuances of how to, how to develop it. And uh, I remember sitting with my friend at a bar one evening and we just sort of like broke down what a style guide actually could be and how much of it is really just kind of kind of bullshit and um, like when I say bullshit I mean there's like a lot I think in some style guides that can be trimmed away um, mm -hmm. and that I guess that was like this the impetus for wanting to write an article like that so it's a it's a frustration that has been growing inside of you for a while now after <laughs> having created a few style guides perhaps also having to have worked with style guides that other people have created that you had to follow yeah yeah i think that sort of dual experience of writing a style guide that is going to be um forced upon writers mm -hmm. and then uh, being the writer who's having the style guide sort of um, directed at them those those two feelings uh, mm -hmm. which I, I cannot understand um, to a certain extent um, but you know I kept trying to compare it to like I wouldn't ask a, I don't know a developer to to write a document about outlining his understanding of uh, like Ruby syntax um, and then there's, there's just so much that was built into uh, style guides and this sort of notion of style guides that I, from my experience that I was experiencing, um, that was just, I think, common sense. And I think that uh, should be left to the, uh, the abilities of a writer rather than mm -hmm. a document. Um, so I, I guess, I don't know, part, part of me uh, wants to argue that you should hire good writers uh, rather than hire one writer to create a document that will make anybody uh, the writer that you need. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned that for you, it often felt like bullshit. 
Um, <laughs> can you further define bullshit for me? <laughs> what are particular yes. elements or triggers for you to call bullshit on a style guide? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I mean, going, going in that direction, I think that uh, it's important to say that, you know, style guides are about consistency and about consistency within the context of a brand and consistency within the context of multiple collaborators on a product. Um, and I will also preface my, my bullshit by saying that there are many writers that I really admire who uh, I think would be able to um, maybe sway me um, away from some of the things that I think are uh, bullshit, but maybe not, I don't know. So I think, yes, some of the things that I think are just unnecessary would be like telling a writer to have fun and be playful. Uh, these <laughs> statements that you see in style guides uh, where they're giving you these very broad, sweeping, very ridiculous sounding ways to use language. Um, I put together this collection in the article that you're referencing of um, guidelines that say things like make friends by talking to your customer in a caring and friendly tone or or to have fun by engaging customers with playful language um, and I think that I think that that stuff is just ridiculous I don't think that any writer should ever be condescended to in that way and if you have a writer that you need to instruct in that way you should maybe consider uh, sort of transitioning them maybe into a training role where they're learning a little bit more rather than um, drafting copy that's going to get shipped to a product. Um, and mm -hmm. also I think a lot of the um, a lot of the rules around clarity um, and simplicity I think can be attributed or not attributed but can be um, removed from a voice and tone style guide because I think that any writer who has made it to the point where they've been hired by a company to write copy for software um, should understand the principles of uh, writing clearly and succinctly. Um, and, you know, in the absence of those skills within a writer, there there's references that exist already. You know, there's the uh, strunk and white elements of style. Um, and there are very, very well uh, fleshed out style guides, like Associated Press style guides and uh, MLA. Um, Chicago Manual of Style. There's so many different types of style guides that I think that it's it's okay to just refer writers to those resources that already exist, and then within your own documentation to have um, have guidelines and rules that are very unique and specific to your brand, uh, to the restrictions of your software and your process, um, and especially when it comes to UX writing, especially with um, developing copy for for mobile. Um, there, there are a lot more restrictions where I think there's probably room to um, have that type of documentation. Obviously, there's a difference between UX copy and, for instance, marketing copy and newsletter copy. Um, and I think that a lot of the examples that you mentioned in your article feel very marketing-y, right? Mm -hmm. And in that sense, I felt like, yeah, but maybe for marketing writers it's still quite useful to have those pointers but you will also need not only to hear like yeah you have to write in a caring friendly tone but mm -hmm. what is that exactly i think i would 
personally still find that okay to read in um, in a style guide as long as it was more um, defined and also had some examples like this is what we mean by that and this is on the other side of that so this is too much or this is too little of that how do you feel about that do you think that the, for for some writing roles it's still useful yeah, I think that's a good point. And I think it's interesting because in the context of marketing, it, it can uh, very much be used, I think, as a helpful resource for writers, um, for managing writers. Um, I think it can also be helpful uh, for writers to manage um, the marketers around them. Um, oftentimes, like as, as a brand evolves and as their voice evolves, marketing wants to exert more influence over uh, all the messaging in every sort of channel that messaging goes out through. Um, so that would even be in like the newsletters and in some of the more marketing related assets. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, for a writer to be able to create this sort of touchstone document where you say, here's how we have defined having fun with our audience, as long as there are sufficient <laughs> examples and not a sort of very generic statement of how to have fun. Um, I, I can see some some purpose there, uh, but again, um, I think that it would be you know very important to support that type of um, guidance with clear examples, um, so mm -hmm. that because I think that oftentimes those those types of guidelines just come from a place of we need to tell the writer that um, we are an easygoing brand or a brand that um, doesn't. Uh, insult its customers or doesn't use stern language with its customers um, and I think I think that I don't know it should go go beyond that because those are things that again I think have been covered in other style guides and uh, any writer who's made it to the point that they're writing for a brand probably already understands but yeah I do <laughs> think that it can be helpful and I think you know like I said um, there are some very unique uh, use cases for different uh, brand voices that should be documented. So it's unique. It's unique to your brand. I, I, su I suppose that the uh, the issues that I have are with the very blanket statements um, mm -hmm. and the sort of things that don't need to be said that are often said. Uh, I just think maybe for the sense of saying them, I don't know why they're said. I, I don't. I don't know. Mm. I think sometimes I feel that. It could also be to <laughs> remind the writer who they are working for themselves, <laughs> like <laughs> uh, as a reminder what the company is like, because a brand itself doesn't necessarily always define that outspokenly. And then you have this document that says like, like um, we treat our our customers like friends, which is also a quite ridiculous statement, <laughs> but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but as a way, like you would never read that literally, of course, in marketing copy or anything. Mm -hmm. But as a reminder, how what what the stance is of an organization towards uh, their customers. I, I sometimes feel like these documents are trying to take the place of of conversations and collaboration. Um, you know, rather than having a document handed to me by a designer or by a, a product owner or something like that. I think it would be much more helpful to like have have a way for them to integrate their work process with mine so that I'm not stepping on anyone's feet, but that I can still have conversations about what it means to write in a particular channel for the brand. 
um, without someone saying, just look at the style guide. You know, I, I want to have those conversations. I, I want to be able to work with people and to um, not rely only on a static document, but to um, continue to discover new ways to write about a company without, I think, saying that it's already been defined and that it's, mm -hmm. um, you know, just shut up and read the voice and tone style guide. Yeah, yeah, I really like the sound of that because something that uh, is also some feedback that uh, you sometimes get as a style guide creator is that people don't uh, all always read it. So if you create it for your for your client as a freelancer, and then half a year later you come back, and then maybe just one person has read it, and the other people just yeah maybe glanced at it and never used it mm -hmm. so it's also not very usable so i like the idea what you're saying of making it more like a, a way of working together yeah and i think um the ability to have some some kind of living documentation um whether it's in like a google document or in paper or um in some sort of uh evolving prototype like if you're working in envision um where you can have conversations both about uh, interfaces and about um, copy that are, that's used in the interfaces. Um, I think, you know, outside of the context of having those those living documents where, where people can have conversations, um, I mean, I, one thing I guess I left out would be Slack channels. Um, I think having an understanding of sort of the, uh, the processes that people who are working on a product adhere to, because depending on a particular individual's project or um, skill set, they have like a different approach. Um, so like a, a UX designer would have like a, a human-centered design process with, you know, six or seven different steps. Um, mm -hmm. I think having a place where you can outline those steps, uh, I mean, they would generally be something like empathize, define, ideate, develop, validate, and iterate, and then repeating on those last two steps. Um, I think that having like that type of process outlined in a document somewhere and maybe being able to um, annotate uh, where a writer fits within that process and where a designer fits and where a developer fits within that process um, can be much more helpful than at the beginning of the process giving a writer a style guide and saying um, at the end of the process we expect you to have filled our application with um, copy that adheres to this. Uh, I yeah. think that like at each, at each stage, you know, when you're going through the ideation of like building out personas and brainstorming, that you're doing it in a way that the writer can have input and can have um, conversations with developers and designers and uh, with the entire team um, in a way that's not stepping on their feet. It's not like, well, let me later on jump into Sketch and edit your design files in a way that you're not going to understand and that's going to hurt the design. Um, so I found that like being able to outline those processes and sort of figure out where everybody fits is maybe more helpful because then it allows room for, for the discussions that I think sometimes style guides try to take the place of. Yeah, okay, that's that's super interesting. I think that you really pulled it from um, a marketing place to a more UX place with yeah. <laughs> an approach like that. Yeah, but it, it makes sense. I feel that um, when I first came across uh, voice and tone guides it still was more like a, a content strategy ux thing and then it kind of got sucked away towards marketing and we're kind of reclaiming it yeah <laughs> with an approach like this so yay revolution yay <laughs> yeah 
Um, yeah, and I, I think the same could be applied to, to marketing as well, because there's you know there's different stages of uh, of the marketing campaigns depending on, where, on what you're working on and the development of those campaigns. Is not. I was thinking that also for ownership, it's a much better thing because there's more people working on it instead of just someone throwing this document at you and mm-hmm. saying follow it. Um, <laughs> whilst when you have this thing (laughs) that you're working on this process that you're collaborating on then it's also your document in the broad sense of the world it's a word it's also your style guide that way huh yeah i think you're right yeah you're right that's interesting i mean because wasn't that the initial purpose of a style guide was to like uh, align your stakeholders align all the people in a project um, Uh and get them to agree um, and to take ownership over um, over the voice and tone. But then what happens is that you, you produce the document and it's static and it gets old. Uh, people leave, new people come, uh, and it sort of loses that, uh, the, the shared ownership. Yeah. So that, it, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, uh, in the process, we're just redefining this whole thing that maybe does have a place in our uh, in our world in good UX and good content after all, as long as we're doing it right, right? Sure, yeah. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> so I guess, I guess in that way I have resold myself on the idea of voice and tone style guidance. <laughs> so let's say if your boss asks you next Monday, hey, Jason, we actually need a style guide, a voice and tone guide, what will you say? <laughs> I would say um, <laughs> I would say let's talk about it. Um, I would say that I think that you know there are probably some very specific reasons why we might want to document how we write about particular things. Uh, um, it might be really nice to have a glossary with examples, um, and I think that there are some interesting ways uh, that we can supplement a voice and tone style guide or maybe um, bypass one entirely by working together differently but I mean I would say like let's talk about it let's let's understand why we, why we think we need it um, how we might benefit from it and maybe ways of doing it um, that become less restrictive and actually help us uh, write better copy rather mm-hmm. than feel like um, we're being um, handed a document that we ultimately won't use all that much because the, mm-hmm. I mean the feeling that I've had from the the style guides that I've written and that have been given to me are that um, you read it once and then you you forget about it um, it's a nice thing to look at and to be like oh okay I guess that makes sense but uh, I think I myself have very rarely needed to use one uh, as a constant resource and I have very rarely given a style guide to someone who said I use this every day or yeah something along those lines (laughs) same (laughs) (laughs) I feel that um I I I think I'm I'm not bad at sensing what uh an organization is about and how they what what their character is like what their what their traits are um so yeah, to be honest with you, I might I might be the same, and I would like take this document and say thank you, and then just browse through it really, skim through it like really quickly, and then just mm-hmm. go like, yeah, I get it. But yeah. 
to really, really go deeply into it. I don't know. At the same time, you know, it's 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 also probably for some organizations like um, a sort of a fallback mechanism. Like if if there are like this, it, it still is a good thing to have in whatever way to have some sort of style guide or style process documentation or whatever. Uh, if there's more than one person writing copy, UX copy, marketing copy, whatever. So it's it's always good to have something to point to, like, yeah, but this is what we mean and this is what we are like. So that that's why I still think it has a place in what we do. And um, mm-hmm. where was I going with this? <laughs> I, I, I could I could sense it. I mean, while you were while you were talking, I was sort of um, thinking about a conversation that I'd read in this Slack channel. Um, maybe I don't know. Maybe it's related. Maybe I was my my mind was wandering, but I think it's related to sort of the direction you were going in. Mm-hmm. And um, someone was asking uh, about style guides <laughs> and uh, whether or not he should try to convince his company that they needed one um, and he just wanted some feedback and there was this uh, this guy Val Klump who works at Gusto and he was talking about how at Gusto they have these um, three different types of style guides and he said there's like a copy style guide, a voice guide and a UX writing guide and then hmm. And then he broke it down even further and he said that the style guide is just grammar and spelling and whatever special copy cases um, might exist for the company. And the voice guide had like attributes of the voice and he said that specifically his company uses like four adjectives. And then there was like examples of great writing that showcased those. And then within UX writing it was primarily like screenshots with hyper specific rules um, that were only relevant to the product. And I was just then directly quoting Val. So um, I think, I don't know, there certainly is a place for those very specific and purposeful types of documents. And then you need someone talented and um, committed, somebody like like Val, to to maintain those documents, you know, because Uh I think as, as brands evolve, like I said, marketing will want to have an influence over those documents, and oh yeah, diff- different people. <laughs> and, yep, <laughs> different people across the organization will want to change it or manipulate it or add uh, footnotes to it. Um, so having somebody sort of as like a gatekeeper to those types of things is important. And mm-hmm. like this makes me think of the Mailchimp style guides. I don't know if you've had a chance to look at them. You probably oh, yeah. have. Yeah, they're yeah. like magnificent. Mm-hmm. Um, and for whatever reason, they have two of them, and they're massive. And I just can't imagine like who's in charge of uh, maintenance for those. And like that's all that's all you you create a style guide. And if you're really going to do it well, like you almost like need a person specifically hired just to maintain it. Yeah, or, that's that's true. They're impressive documents, right? Yeah, they can be. Maybe for a small company, that's also just just too much. It's just too much overhead. It's too much hassle, and. Perhaps you can just all fit it on a one pager or so, or fit the most important stuff on one page. But then yeah. again, we needed the process. We needed uh, the the communication, the conversation. Yeah. 
the size of an organization dictating their need for a style guide and also, um, I guess, the scope of what their style guide will look like. Because I think a lot of the issue that I, I have with style guides is I see a lot of freelance writers trying to sell smaller brands and agencies, um, these very elaborate style guides, something that would be like similar to a, a MailChimp or a list apart <laughs> style guide. Um, that would take you know weeks to develop and you know thousands of dollars um, when really uh, it's it's not uh, the right fit for a smaller brand whereas like mm -hmm. an enormous company like MailChimp where there's content everywhere and so many different potential areas where copy could fail the user I guess it makes sense to have a much more comprehensive document um, but not everybody needs needs that it could be like you said just a, a one pager for a particular brand. So maybe understanding what you need <laughs> is helpful. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, mm -hmm. so to wrap it up, what do we want organizations and people who create style guides to remember from this? I suppose um, one of the things, sort of one of the issues that really rubbed me the wrong way that led me to writing the article was that a lot of times I felt like a style guide was a voice and tone style guide was designed um, to micromanage a writer away from actually being involved in some of the more interesting aspects of developing a product or developing a campaign um, or engaging with people in the company. It sort of felt like it was a way to um, isolate the writer um, so mm -hmm. that the writer wasn't always tapping somebody on the shoulder. Um, so I would say that, you know, consider what you what you need the voice and tone style guide for and like what your ultimate objective is for it um yeah. that, that's also an interesting point by the way that you just made that they use it so that a writer can work independently but then still <laughs> if you would use it that way you'd still have the danger that they might misinterpret what you wrote in that style guide so <laughs> Yeah, it's it's just not a waterproof document. Yeah, yeah, and I guess that that leads to like maybe a, a very broad piece of advice would be don't let the voice and tone style guide replace uh, conversations, um, and look for areas where you can very consistently use the voice and tone style guide to improve basic units of language, mm -hmm. um, so that mistakes aren't made, so that you don't. Like if, if you have an application that is going to be tracking a user's location, you want to be very sensitive toward privacy anxiety. There's probably a very specific set of you know language rules that you want to adhere to that are different from an application uh, that maybe helps. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to come up with some insane example. <laughs> helps a user find a recipe for dinner or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a much different set of considerations. So I think identifying what you really need the guide for and not just what you think you need it for and who you think that the guide is going to impress. Because a lot of times I think it, the guides are sort of sold up to like executives and other people, or maybe a, a, an agency might sell it to a client to say, look, we're, we're actually working really hard. Okay, so overall, we'd rather have a conversation than a static document, but might I just conclude by saying that that conversation should maybe be caring, friendly, and maybe a little badass, baby? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, okay. I will allow it. 
just this once. <laughs> yes. Okay. Thank you so much, Jason. Thank you, Saskia. It was, it was wonderful speaking with you. I'm happy we can agree on not throwing out the baby with the bathwater. We don't want to stop using style guides. We just want to make them better. We need to be more thoughtful in what we create and how we do that. These are my main takeaways from this conversation. 1. Style guides should not be static documents, but rather ongoing conversations, which you can capture with the right tools. Think about using Slack together with one or more Google documents. Or perhaps a wiki is the tool for you. 2. Make sure that everybody feels welcome to participate in the conversation, to ask questions, to share ideas and examples. 3. Have a gatekeeper. That's one person or a small group of people. They make the final decisions of what goes into the style guide. They clean up the documentation, make sure the descriptions are clear enough, that there are enough examples and they keep the documents up to date. 4. You can have periodic review sessions with your writers to go over changes and new additions. To make sure that those are clear enough to everyone or that maybe better, more specific definitions and examples are needed. This way, everyone is and stays on board with the documentation and the conversation. That's it for this episode. We'd love to hear your ideas about content style guides and how we could improve on them. Share your thoughts in the comments section on efficientlyeffective.fm or on Twitter. If you like what we do and want to support us, there's a few things that you can do. You can subscribe to us in your podcast app. If you like what we do and want to support us, there's a few things that you can do. You can subscribe to us in your podcast app. You can review us on iTunes or tell a friend that they have to listen to Efficiently Effective. We're Effective Pod on Twitter and we love seeing your tweets. No, really, just letting us know that you're listening, commenting on the show or sharing it like some of you already did really means a lot to us. You have no idea. Thank you so much to everybody who gave us some love on Twitter the last couple of months. We love you. Editing and technical help by Sander Spolspool. Music by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Efficiently Effective is a production by The Duchess.